Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another in a series of shows from the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. Today, I've got two great guests with me, Nora and Janine. For those folks who uh, know you better by your full names, uh, Nora, help us out. <laughs> uh, my name is Nora Frank Buckner. You've been part of the team here for how long? Um, five years, as of January. And you have uh, tribal roots right in the Northwest, correct? I do. I'm a Nez Perce tribal member and a Klamath tribal descendant. Wonderful. And then next to me on the other side is Janine. Janine, uh, tell us uh, your full name and a little bit about your role here. Yeah, my name is Janine Dagkovchik, and I've been working at the health board for 13 years as a biostatistician and program evaluation specialist. Wow. It's great to have you both uh, here, and it's a beautiful venue. What do you call this room? This is our Idaho Tribes Room. Um, it's one of three different conference rooms that we have. Very nice. So a lot of glass here. We're looking <laughs> out on uh, a lot of the uh, indigenous flora. So uh, we also get a view of uh, of some of the, the major uh, roads that are around here. It's a very, uh, uh, very strategic place, it seems. You're right near a university, aren't you? Yes, we're uh, right across the street from the Native American Student Center here at the Portland State University. That's great. That's great. So you're in the heart of things here in Portland. And we want to especially talk about a program that sometimes, as I understand it, is simply referred to as WEAVE. Tell us a little bit uh, about that, uh, Nora. Sure. So WEAVE Northwest is what we call our project here at the health board, but it's part of a larger initiative nationally known as Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country. And that's a cooperative agreement through the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, which main focus is around chronic disease prevention. So how long have you been working with this project, Nora? For five years. <laughs> wow. Okay. So this has been uh, pretty much your career yes, in this venue. Yes, in this venue, yes. And then, Janine, have you been uh, working with this project for a long time? Yeah, I started at the very beginning of our first five-year cycle funding from CDC along with Nora. Um, prior to that, I worked on other projects here at the health board. But, yeah, about five years working with Weave. Great, great. So help folks understand what Weave is, Nora, when we, we say Weave. And why is it called Weave? Maybe that's the place to start. <laughs> oh, boy. So... One of the things that the um, Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board or our Northwest Tribal Epidemiology Center loves to do is to have projects with acronyms, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> one of them being WEAVE Northwest. And um, funny story, I'm probably one of one of the few people that remember what that whole acronym stands I'm not for. even going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced it when I was interviewing. Oh, so great, in case great. they asked me, <laughs> I memorized it. But it stands for Wellness for Every American Indian to View and Achieve Health Equity. Hmm. And although that's a great title, I don't necessarily feel that it is all-encompassing of what our project really focuses on. Uh -huh. And so we've, you know, we, we have the cooperative agreement with CDC, 
they have strategies that they set forth as far as what they would like to see happen with their funding. They have currently this next five years, uh, four particular areas of funding that um, or strategies that they want us to focus on. Mm-hmm. One of them being on the prevention of obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, stroke prevention, and tobacco cessation. Mm-hmm. Um, all being funded from different offices at the CDC. Mm-hmm. Over the past five years, uh, we've worked with our tribes in, in various aspects, whether that's through technical assistance, offering training, or providing sub-awards or sub-grants mm-hmm. to our tribes to work on these uh, prevention strategies. Um, and a big portion of that is around culturally adapting and making sure culturally relevant material is out there for tribes to work on on those strategies. And one of the the main focuses that our tribes in the Northwest took over the past five years was around food systems change. Mm. Uh, So that really led to where we are probably talking today about food sovereignty and the Northwest Mm -hmm. Tribal Food Sovereignty Coalition. But we have other areas of focus too, such as the type 2 diabetes and the, the tobacco cessation project that we have. Um, Janine, did you want to? No, I would just add that the reason we called it WEAVE, although we had to figure out some words that would make that acronym work, is just mainly because this is chronic disease prevention, of course, has to span a lot of different areas because Mm -hmm. it impacts so many parts of health. And so the idea that we're working collaboratively with a lot of other programs here at the health board and that the tribes themselves are working collaborating within different tribal departments and creating coalitions that are sort of multi-sector coalitions, the idea of weaving all of those approaches together to create a more holistic effort in chronic disease prevention is sort of the underpinning of why we figured out some way to make it be called WEAVE. Okay, very good. Did it maybe resonate with the actual <laughs> acronym? But, uh-huh. You know, we found meaning in what it could be could mean and even our logo which is a basket has 43 little uh, parts that you'll notice which represent our 43 federally recognized tribes that we serve in our area very nice i did not realize that there is that <laughs> significance in the logo well let's talk a little bit more about something that i have found really just in the short time that i've been with your team here that's very important as uh, is true in many places in indian country The focus really is on having communities and tribes take ownership of projects and really give direction to them. Was that part and parcel of your focus as you started the project? Yes. The, the, like Janine was mentioning, it's a really broad categories that the CDC kind of gave us. There wasn't a, a huge direction other than it needs to be culturally relevant and culturally adaptive. And so, the tribes embraced it. They really t- took ownership of it. Um, so, for example, they really wanted to focus around food systems change. Okay. You'll hear a lot of public health jargon around policy systems and environmental changes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tribes would say, okay, well, how does that reflect? What does that mean in our community, right? Mm-hmm. So taking that and, and really making it a grassroots effort within each community they began working on projects around community gardens, mm. um, traditional food programs, writing curriculum to teach youth, adults, elders uh, about their traditional foods, or even just eating healthy, um, getting them active in the garden, taking them on plant walks, those those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we started noticing that when we offered the space for them to get together and collaborate and share resources and knowledge intertribally, that they really appreciated that because not all tribes were at the same starting point, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, all different communities spread across three different states, different uh, climates, you name it. And so, you know, we had some tribes that were just beginning to start a community garden and were wondering, okay, what kind of soil is the best soil to use? Mm-hmm. Or how did you overcome this barrier with tribal council as far as getting it approved? Or how do you keep the critters out of the garden? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sort mm-hmm. of like basic things like that. And then we had other tribes that are already had well-established community gardens had established uh, traditional foods programs, but were ready to create curriculum that they could share regionally, nationally, that could offer some advice and some guidance around what's best practices in this area. Mm -hmm. That really led to um, the request from our tribes to have some sort of coalition or work group focused solely on food systems or food sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We took uh, um, several of our sub-award tribes focused in food systems to the Native American Nutrition Conference that's held in Minnesota, uh, I want to say in 2016 or 2017. Uh, and that's when they said, we want more opportunity to collaborate intertribally on these issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, we said, okay. And we started doing some basic over-the-phone conversations with a few of the folks that were interested. And then... In March of 2018, we held a strategic planning meeting with uh, with folks around the region, and we had I want to say 23 or to 25 people show up uh, and start, you know, goal setting and visioning mm-hmm. and creating a mission statement, and it really took off from there. And we had our first uh, annual gathering that year. Um, I think you know we've had the third one, or this will be our third one this year. Um, and at our, at our highest attendance, we had 160 people show wow. up from across the region and even including Montana and Alaska and Canada. Uh, and those, the, the focus of that kind of changes, but it could be anything from policy. What does that look like when you're talking about the food system in your community or mm-hmm. food sovereignty or skill building? You know, how do we, um, get folks the skills and the tools they need to teach their community how to do, um, you know, certain activities that may have been lost or how do we just share one-on-one um, more of an informally or informal practice of, um, you know, just resource sharing here. Mm-hmm. Here's this great resource I have, whether it's curriculum or, you know, just some, it's a knowledge. Excellent. Excellent. I'm thinking of your role, Janine, and I gathered that one of the things that you have a strength in is data analysis and looking at the numbers and the figures was it important to collect certain pieces of data that required some formal analysis at the beginning of the project that brought you to that point of saying, you know, some of these food systems and food sovereignty issues are important? Yeah, definitely. So um, we do a lot of um, surveillance and looking at population level data sort of to get a picture regionally of what kind of chronic disease health disparities there are overall for American Indians, Alaska Natives. But specifically for this project, we looked a lot at more the local level at program evaluation. Mm -hmm. So my role is to help the tribes figure out what exactly it is they're trying to achieve when they decide to embark on whatever project it is they're going to do through WEAVE. 
Um, but when you're looking at something like food sovereignty, it's important to get a handle in the beginning on what is the current state of the food system in that community. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, we have helped uh, with training and technical assistance to get our tribes um, up to speed on how to do, for example, a food sovereignty assessment where they actually look at their community and say, what are the barriers to access uh, healthy and traditional foods in this community? What resources do we have? What kind of policies are in place right now? Mm-hmm. What do people know about what's available? And what do they perceive as barriers? Is it that they can't find access to a grocery store because they're in a food desert, which is the case for many of our reservations mm-hmm. and transportation is an issue? Um, or is it that it's too expensive? I mean, we have tribes where they're at the very end of that produce distribution chain. So by the time that the truck gets there, the produce is already almost like at the end of its uh, mm-hmm. lifespan and mm-hmm. it might be $10 for a bag of half moldy grapes. And so wow. these are the kind of issues that you kind of can do some work in the beginning to get some baseline data and some information about what barriers people are facing and how to address those. And then through program evaluation, we create an evaluation plan to look at what we want to change. Where do we want to move the needle? Mm-hmm. How do we want to measure that that what we determine as success. And that's determined by the tribes. Of course, CDC also has their objectives and we have our objectives that we hope to meet, but we work collaboratively with the tribes to make sure that how they're evaluating their programs is also something that's relevant for their community. And it might be a more holistic approach. It might not just be looking at clinical measures of individual health change. It may be looking at community health mm-hmm. and at increasing access and taking some of those barriers away. So Statistically, that's what we look at for the data, looking to see whether or not these programs are having that intended impact and uh, really helping to increase not just individual health, but like I said, the community's ability to address food sovereignty as a whole. Now, I would guess that probably one of the areas where you're also trying to make a difference is increasing the capacity of people at the tribal level to do some of the very things that you do. I mean, you've written a grant and then you're funding other grantees, other tribes. Is that a big uh, part of what you do or not? Or am I misunderstanding kind of your role there? No, it definitely is. Training and technical assistance is some of our core work. And Nora, if you'd like to talk more about what we do in terms of training on that. We definitely want to hear from you, Nora. We have to slip away just for a a couple of minutes. Then we're going to come back and we'll be talking about this and really the whole issue of of food sovereignty, uh, uh, food systems. And some folks you may be turning in today and you're wondering what this all has to do with where you're at, whether you're uh, native or, or not. We're going to be helping you see why this is really a practical discussion for you. And uh, you really don't want to miss what's coming up in our next segment. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose, Janine and Nora joining me from the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. We've been talking about a project called WEAVE, or WEAVE Northwest more precisely, we are saying this is relevant to you if you're tuning in today to American Indian Living. And in order to help do that, even though we were in the midst of a conversation about training and building capacity, we do want to step back just a little bit and talk about this whole theme of food sovereignty. A lot of people in Indian country, I mean, sovereignty, yes. I mean, we're a sovereign nation, they say, and uh, you know, we deal with the, the federal government like we're another nation, not just some you know local entity. But Food sovereignty, that seems like taking the dialogue another step. What do we mean by that? Right. So as you can imagine, uh, every tribe can uh, define that differently mm-hmm. based on their own experience and what their view of it is. But one of the uh, resources that I love to turn to just to help me you know, think of this concretely is the Indigenous Food Sovereignty in the United States, which is a book. Um, that recently came out this last year, and there had there's a definition in there I really oh, like, and I brought okay. it because I figured we would be defining per- what food perfect, sovereignty perfect. is. Um, and while there's many ways to define it, I really like this one. Uh, food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. Well, wow, read that again. That was so uh, so nice. Yeah. Written. So food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. Okay. And that's basically what you've been doing with each of the tribes individually, right? Yes. Yep. And what I'm gathering is as you've been going about this process with the 43 federally recognized tribes in this part of the country, you've been finding a lot of common themes like we had been talking about. Mm -hmm. 
So let's come back to that question then of increasing capacity to for tribes to take their own initiative in, in some of these endeavors. What is your role in that, Nora? Right. So as Janine mentioned, we um, provide different technical assistance and trainings, and one of them being the food sovereignty assessment tool training that we did uh, about a year, a year and a half ago. And we partnered with First Nations Development Institute and brought out one of the um, co-writers or co um yeah, I guess it'd be a co-writer of the of the assessment and mm-hmm. walked through, you know, what this tool is about, how can you use it, and then what do you do with that data once you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really useful for a lot of our tribes who were wanting to embark on something like that. Um, other training and technical assistance uh, that I often end up doing is strategic planning and action mm-hmm. planning. Uh, you know, um, for example, my own tribe has at Nez Perce, they, Janine and I went out and helped them, uh, define what they wanted their food coalition to be, you know, setting up their vision, their mission, their goals, uh, and what they wanted to accomplish over the next year. And then I just did a follow up strategic planning meeting with them, uh, last month in February after their food summits. And the mm-hmm. tribe's done a food sovereignty assessment. They have some concrete actions they want to move forward on. And so we're here to help with that, um, in any way. Great, great. So, Janine, come back to you because one of the things that I've heard is a challenge in Indian country is to find indigenous people who might catch a vision for some of the, well, how do we say it, less glamorous aspects of public health. I mean, a lot of people, when they hear about things that are exciting in public health, it's interfacing with people, making a difference. Maybe it's you know working with tribal leaders. But there's somebody that's got to do that work behind the scenes of, of sometimes we call it crunching the numbers, of analyzing the data. Speak to Native youth who might be listening into the show. Why is there a need for First Nation peoples to, to catch a vision, to you know get some of those mathematical skills, those computer skills, and be involved with data analysis? Well, I would say that you need to have not only the quantitative side of being able to do data analysis, but it's really important when you say catch the vision to also think about the qualitative side. Mm -hmm. And so uh, while I am a statistician, um, a lot of the work that I do specifically in working in this kind of um, evaluation is what we call mixed methods, where we're looking at not just crunching those numbers, Mm -hmm. but also hearing the stories because Mm -hmm. we know that evaluation is not a new concept to Indian country that native people have been conducting their own program (laughs) evaluation forever. Uh Um, And that, you know, looking to see what's working and what's not working and how your community can be more resilient is part and parcel of the way that things have been done in tribes for forever. Mm -hmm. But to be able to combine both the evidence from um, hearing stories and listening to the impact on the community and seeing the ripple effect of some of these actions with the quantitative data where we can actually look at how things are changing in people's health. Combining the two of those things together, I think, is where we have the most ability to really understand the impact and figure out where we should prioritize resources, what's working well, how we can adjust if there's something that isn't working. So I would say invest in both of those things. If you're thinking about how you can Mm -hmm. really make a difference in helping your community understand how to be healthier, understand the data, understand the statistics, but also think about what other kinds of evidence are credible and important to understand the context of those. As a statistician, I can't always tell you what the numbers mean. I can tell you the numbers, but it's it's up to the community to tell me what they mean mm-hmm. and to interpret them in context. So we talked about the power of story. 
And Nora, I know as folks are listening, we've been speaking about some of the technical aspects of your program and, and how it started and how tribes have kind of rallied around it and gotten so involved. But tell us some stories that, that would help the listeners connect a little bit more about what you're doing and how it's impacting people. Sure. So I think I have two that really pop up in my mind right now. And it, it stems from Janine's earlier story of the tribe in particular that was the end of the produce route mm. and they're convenient, you know, they're an hour away from any real, you know, what you would think of as a big box grocery store where they could get a bulk of their produce or, you know, other food. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all they had in their community is a small convenience store. And then, you know, 30 minutes away was their little bit larger market, but still had a lot of, you know, fried food or unhealthy mm-hmm. options mm-hmm. and produce that's, you know, not so great and a little more expensive. And, you know, they focused on really producing fresh produce at in their community mm-hmm. and provided, you know, they, they walked away from one of our um, gatherings, actually, uh, after talking with another tribe that uses what's called a CSA model, which is Typically, you hear it in a, you know, more of an urban setting, community supported agriculture where you mm-hmm. could buy a box of produce from, mm-hmm. you know, and right. for like 20 bucks a month or something and you go pick it up. Well, at the tribal rural level, they didn't really charge anybody for this. They partnered with a local farm that had surplus of mm. uh, produce uh-huh. that, you know, they were able to donate to wow. um, the tribe because the tribe's garden wasn't quite producing enough yet uh-huh. uh, they just needed some sort of way to um, supplement that they put these boxes together with recipes with a cooking class with meet the wow. gardener day and they came back to us and said this has been really successful we have family signing up for this produce box because they need the fresh food mm-hmm. and i said that's awesome how many did you have sign up thinking there would be five families you know in mm-hmm. one week that right, seems right. like a good amount they came back and said, no, we had 25 families sign up for wow. this within the first week. And so that just right there demonstrated the need mm-hmm. and why they have to take control of their own local food system if they want anything to change. And it was just beautiful to see that unfold. And they just kept adding on to their community garden. They have ducks and chickens and oh, wow. I think bees, you know, they're just flourishing. So You've talked, Nora, about partnerships. One of them was with the local farmer. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of what you folks do, really the success of it is not only partnerships with, with tribes, but partnerships with other entities. Janine, who else has uh, been a, a partner and involved with this whole process over the years? Well, there's a lot of great work that's happening um, across the country in, in Indian country as far as this whole movement towards food sovereignty. Um, and because what we eat is impacts so much of our health, but it also has, um, it also, we end up having cross, we end up working together with other, um, areas such as climate resilience and Mm. land access and looking at the, uh, cultural revitalization part of it that there's, we have partners across so many sectors in working Mm. this. It's actually kind of a learning curve for us because working in public health, we don't know that much about, for example, land policy, things like that. Uh So we're learning a lot and partnering with, um, folks who can help us understand the, um, legal aspects of those kind of things and the policy aspects of those kind of things, because, um, for our tribes to do 
their own local community garden to try and uh, build up their food systems in that way, as Nora mentioned, as one thing. And we can work that way. But also for us to help them to bring traditional foods back into the part of the daily diet is another aspect that involves being able to access those foods. Before we uh, step away for a break, Nora, can you give us uh, any contact information? If someone says, boy, I'd love to, to learn more about what you folks do. Sure. You can uh, feel free to email me or Janine, um, which is nfrank at npaihb.org. Okay. So let's make sure we've got the domain is the abbreviation for Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. Yes. So npaihb.org. Mm-hmm. And it's your first initial, Nora, and your last name, Frank, or at least a portion of your last yes. name. So N Frank. Okay, and then uh, I'm assuming, Janine, your uh, email address will be similar? Yeah, but don't try and spell my last name. <laughs> okay, so basically you're saying reach out to Nora. Reach out to Nora. <laughs> okay. okay, we're going to step away. We're going to be coming back with more. We're going to focus when we come back on things that can make a difference for you as an individual as far as uh, food issues in your own home, your own family. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back with more right after this on American Indian Living. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with members of the team of the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. Janine and Nora have been with me from the beginning of the show, and they're continuing to stay by, so we're so thankful for you ladies sharing your expertise. Nora, we were saying just before the break that one of the things we wanted to do is to bring this down to the individual level. Let's just make it practical. Someone's listening, and they're tuning in from maybe Alaska, maybe it's Florida, maybe somewhere far distant from your actual reach as far as a, a Indian health board. And they're saying, well, I'd love to have more culturally appropriate foods available to me where I live. Is there anything an individual can do? Um, of course. So um, for those that live uh, maybe in a tribal community, uh, across the U.S., we have 12 different tribal epidemiology centers uh, that provide very similar technical assistance training and programs that we do. Mm. And so if someone was wanting to reach out uh, more regionally or locally in that sense for the same type of technical assistance, I would say they should contact their tribal epidemiology center for their region. And there are 12, which are divided up um, same as IHS areas, okay. Okay. if that's helpful. Um, and I think you can find all of the tech center tech for tribal epidemiology centers for short tech center information on the website, which I'm not remembering off the top of my head. What? So would it be through Indian health service? I mean, could someone go through Indian health service and Uh, get that information? I don't know if our tech centers are listed on IHS uh, website, but there's a specific, um, and I should know it off the top of my head. It might be tribal epidemiology centers.org. I'm not sure. Google tribal epidemiology centers. Google it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or, but, or maybe call it your, one of the local tribes. In exactly. Your and, 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 you know, tribes, they might have their own traditional foods program. So mm-hmm. reaching out. And if you're, if you're living in an urban setting, um, like here in Portland, for example, I know that we have, uh, several urban native, uh, organizations that are working on, uh, different traditional food program programs mm-hmm. and projects um, collaboratively in this area. Great, great. We had talked in the previous segment about partnerships, and I know that's huge. Janine, you had, had mentioned some about that. Nora, I know you do a lot of that legwork as far as interfacing with other entities. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking not only you folks have expressed to me, you know, off air that you want to thank some of those organizations on air. I mean, I think that's wonderful, but also for, uh, for tribes that may be looking for other resources or individuals, maybe someone is a tribal council person, maybe they're an elder, they're just interested in this area, regardless of what their position is, if they have a concern about this, I think it's nice just to give some visibility to some of the organizations that might help. So, uh, Walk us through a little bit of that, if you would be so kind. Sure. I would say uh, locally, one of the biggest partnerships we've um, developed over the last five years um, with another organization is the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission. Mm. Um, I work very closely with Buck Jones, who's one of their uh, salmon marketing um, specialists Mm -hmm. or manager, Mm -hmm. and their range is throughout the entire Columbia Gorge, and so they work with the, the tribe's um, that are affected mm-hmm. through that area and, uh, just having that expertise in that field where it's very environmentally focused and focused on water quality and fish, you know, um, uh, monitoring the salmon runs, you know, having an expert in that field has been so helpful. Mm. Um, and 
I would also like to shout out uh, um, Urban Indian Health Institute with some of the evaluation that they've helped us with as well, um, really reaching out to the tribes that they've worked really closely with in the Puget Sound area. They have an extensive traditional foods mm-hmm. um, project with those Puget Sound tribes. And um, Valerie Segris out of Muckleshoot. Right now she's um, a regional director with the Native American Agriculture Fund. But when we first started our partnership together, uh, she was the traditional foods program manager for her tribe, the Muckleshoot tribe, um, and was really helping us through making sure the curriculum that she was writing was accessible to tribes in the Northwest. And and she's really been a, a mentor and a, a, a great person to guide this work because she has contacts all over the region mm-hmm. nationally. And mm-hmm. if we don't know the answer, I feel like she will, or she'll know somebody we can contact. Um, we have developed really strong partnerships um, with extension service. So for whether that's Washington state university, Oregon state university, Idaho state university, there are extension agents across the region that help tribes um, this is more of an individual thing back to the mm-hmm, individual mm-hmm. Um, that have helped the tribes with their gardens because those extension agents are there to help get gardens up and running. So they have master gardeners to help with that master food preservers and are there, you know, to help with soil testing and all those things. So if I'm hearing you right, agricultural extension services are available throughout the whole country, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And so if someone's listening into the show, whether they're representing a tribe or just have individual questions, there's someone that they can actually pick up the phone and call and talk to and maybe even come out to their location. Yes. So each state has a land grant university that has an extension service. Now, whether that county has someone who's able to go out and do that, that's another Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the other piece of that is does that land grant university have a strong relationship with the tribes? Mm, That's another mm, big piece. I think here in the Northwest, we have strong partnerships. Mm. So we're pretty good about that. Um, maybe not the case across the country. I'm okay. not sure. Okay. And then you also mentioned the uh, Native American Agricultural Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that is, is nationwide as well? Yes, that's brand new. Um, this is their first year and they do a lot of grant making. Uh, it's a, it's, it came out of litigation from the Keeps Eagle versus Vilsack, uh, litigation. Uh, I could give you more information about that on our website to look more in depth about that, but we mm. received some funding from them as well to okay. build, um, a part, do more coalition building and they're there to build more or offer more assistance, technical assistance, training, funding, and opportunities for native farmers and agriculture, mm-hmm. um, sector. You know, that could be anything though, fishing, hunting, gatherers, not just think what you think of normally when you hear agriculture, okay, you might think okay. of a farm. Doesn't necessarily always mean that here in the Northwest. So So it's the whole food system really mm-hmm. that they're interested in. Yeah. Great. Janine, let's come back to you because we've been talking about things that impact tribes. We've been talking about coalition building and and you know, this uh Weave Northwest project that you folks are involved with. As you talk with individuals, Janine, whether they're in tribal leadership or others, what kind of messaging do you think is important to get out there? What would you like people to hear as we're talking about uh, the Weave Northwest program? I think really the thing that I found the most exciting about this work and in particular this project is uh, just how resilient our tribes are and mm. how, how much they really use their voice and advocate 
Um, you know, we see it across the country, but of course I'm looking here, maybe a little biased, <laughs> the mm-hmm, Northwest mm-hmm. to, to speak to policymakers, decision makers and funders about the importance of moving forward in public health approaches, uh, in a way that really, um, brings the health of the whole community and the culture of that community to the forefront. So we know from lots of experience now that, you can teach people what they need to do in terms of changing their diet to be healthier, in terms of making, uh, increasing their physical activity. And these approaches, of course, are the core that what we need to do to prevent obesity and type 2 diabetes and try to prevent these, the onset of this, these chronic diseases. But really helping to bring back the culture into that and to build the food system of these communities so that they do have that resilience and sovereignty and so that there's intergenerational knowledge being shared from elders who have this wisdom and have all of this information about where those traditional foods were grown and how they were harvested and processed and what's the correct way to do that to share that information down through the, uh, the rest of the tribe, through the generations, and to preserve that knowledge is to really build back not just the individual health of the community and what they're eating, what the diet looks like, but also bringing back the holistically the health of the community and mm-hmm. really looking at what does this look like for our particular community. So our tribes have been able to really take that message to funders and say, Yes, there may be an evidence-based way that this has been shown to work in particular model in other populations, but how does that translate for our population where we're mm. still getting those core pieces that are going to help our community be healthy, but doing it in a way that is the correct way for our particular population, for our particular community. Mm-hmm. And they've done amazing things in that arena, uh, which I'm just really honored to have been able to be even a slight part of watching it happen. <laughs> Nora, you mentioned earlier some things that I thought were extremely practical. You gave us some bullet points. You talked about some of the things that were being shared among tribes as to how to run a more successful community garden, how to keep uh, predators out. I mean, a number of things that you touched on. What kind of uh, lessons have you gleaned in your work on this project that you say, boy, people throughout Indian country if they knew this or if they had this question, here's an answer. Do anything come to mind where you say, this is something really practical that anybody could use, even if they're not native, if they want to run a garden? Have you learned some things that say, wow, that really just turned that light bulb on? Yeah, I would say probably so. Um, there are so many different ways to do, <laughs> do these gardens or, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, most practical is just to meet if you're an educator or you're, um, say you're running a program is to meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. you know, no, don't try and be, go too big, too fast mm. and really focus on, you know, what are the small steps, small changes we can make every day that help this. Right. And so, um, some of the practical things, if you want to start gardening, but you're, you're in an apartment, how are you going to do that? Or you live in, um, tribal housing and you don't have a space to create your own garden mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can do window gardening you can do container gardens you okay. know uh, we do have tribes that are working with their you know tribal housing department or other folks to um, how do we get you know household um, gardens mm-hmm. on a small scale mm-hmm. to folks and, and make that available so i think that's a really small practical step an individual can take is you know start small don't 
Don't overthink it. So the idea of a <laughs> container garden is you get some small containers and you have dirt yeah. or potting soil yeah. or something and Start you're growing some, some plants? Yeah, you know. Okay. And have you seen people do that and it actually makes a, a, a profound difference in their experience? I think what's really neat is you see the confidence start to build of like oh that wasn't too difficult that wasn't too scary <laughs> i can do that and especially if you see that with youth and kids mm-hmm. and you get their hands in the dirt super early they love it and mm-hmm. they will eat those vegetables and they will and they will grow a fondness of those foods through tasting them and trying them and being in control of it mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing to watch no, I appreciate you mentioning that so much because we run into so many people, whether I'm wearing my hat as a physician or a health educator or just working with communities where we hear that, you know, kids are not making those right choices. And time and time again, as I travel, I hear people telling these stories, just like you're sharing, Nora, you know, get the kids actually growing the food and they're going to want to to taste the food that they just spent, you know, several weeks or usually, you know, months, right? Growing, so that is that's such a powerful concept, and uh, it doesn't matter what segment of the population you look at, they still say uh, here in the United States broadly we're not eating enough fruits and vegetables, and uh, of all people we want our kids getting that good nutrition. We're going to come back with a, a final segment. We want to look at some more practical things that can make a difference for you who are tuning in today for your tribe. If you're not native, uh, some other things I think you'll find interesting, lessons learned from the Weave Northwest Project. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. Back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call one 800 775 hope that's 1-800-775-4673 we'll be right back after this one day i'll teach chemistry to kids i'm going to be an architect my dream is to be a chef at the u.s department of education's office of federal student aid we provide more than 150 billion dollars each year in grants loans and work study funds making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life i can go back to college I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We've been speaking with uh, two ladies who've been making a big difference in Indian country, especially in the Pacific Northwest. We've been speaking with Nora and Janine. They've been working with the Weave Northwest Project, and we are especially talking about practical things that can help you and can help your tribe. Janine, there's always much more to say than we can cover in a one-hour show. You've got some great resources on your website. Tell us a little bit about how to get there and why someone might want to go to the uh, Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board's website. Yeah, I would definitely encourage anybody who's interested by this conversation today and wants to learn more about how they can um, play a role in this this movement that's happening across Indian country for food sovereignty to visit our website. It's npaihb.org. Very, very simple. If you can remember the acronym, if you can remember the name of the organization, the acronym's there. Um, and we have some resources there on our website to help folks figure out where to start on this journey or how to how they can play a role in it. So I would definitely encourage everybody to check that out and, and see uh, what they can do locally and within their own communities to start down this road. So we're challenging you, if you haven't picked up on it already, Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board is the name of the, the venue where we're at, the organization that's, uh, that's represented here. I will tell you, just to try to get this name to stick with folks, it is one of the less intuitive names for an Indian health board that I've <laughs> dealt with. I mean, I would think, well, Northwest uh, Area Indian Health Board, that makes sense, or the Portland Area Indian Health Board, that would make sense. But why is it Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board? You don't have to answer the question, but uh, it, it just almost kind of begs that question. Have you had other people yeah, say there that? there is a reason. Tell us, tell us. Well, it's Portland Area because uh, we mirror the IHS Portland Area. They okay. called it Portland area. That's their, that's the, why that comes, where that comes from. But then people think that we only serve Portland if you say Portland area okay. or Portland in this close surrounding area. But we actually serve Oregon, Washington and Idaho. So Northwest. I got it. Okay. So the Portland area comes from the old uh, Indian health service divisions yes. and the Northwest is trying to make sure that we understand that it is the Northwest. Yes, exactly. So hopefully that discussion has helped you remember a little bit better <laughs> the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board, N-P-A-I-H-B dot O-R-G. Yeah, except don't put the W for Northwest. That throws people a lot, off ah. a lot. It's not N-W. Did, did I do it right? You did it right. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Well, very good. I know. It's tricky. No, well, I, I like that. We're talking about abbreviations. I like to spend a little time thinking about it. I'm the same way myself. If I can remember what something stands for, it helps me to, to get the, the acronym down better. Nora, before we stepped away, and during the break, in fact, we were speaking a little bit about other things that can make a practical difference for individuals and tribes. And you mentioned something off-air that a lot of people would think is a bit, well, counterintuitive. When we speak about individuals, people are thinking of, you know, practical things that someone can do for me or that I can tap into. But you said that policy was something really important from your vantage point in Indian country. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So 
whether that be national, federal policy, state policy, local policy, tribal policy, you know, it's all very important. And when we have federal policies, state policies that are, that are mandating, dictating what the food system is doing, mm-hmm. what it looks like, mm-hmm. tribal voice is very important in that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, we were very successful in this latest farm bill uh, that was passed uh, this last year. There was a Native Farm Bill Coalition that rallied tribal communities across the nation to ensure tribal voices were included at these consultations when they were um, reviewing and re- uh, revising the, the newest farm bill. It was very successful. Every single recommendation that this Data Farm Bill Coalition put forth for this farm bill was accepted into um, that bill and it was passed. Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. The other piece to that is the appropriations bill. Is there money attached to okay, those okay. to those recommendations, right? So that's another piece. But if that does, had not happened, tribal voices would be left out again. Mm-hmm. So there's a strong um, need for tribal voices to be heard both state and federally. So a way we're trying to ensure that happens is rally our Northwest folks uh, at the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians which is a convening that happens uh, three times a year. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, different topics, you name it, education, natural resources, health, e- economy. Um, and we were successful in getting a food sovereignty subcommittee under their natural resources mm-hmm. committee. So, you know, we're just, we're just starting out. We've only had three meetings. We'll be on our fourth here in May. If it still happens, we'll see with this whole COVID-19 business, <laughs> but um we're really trying to create a policy platform around what does that, what does food sovereignty mean here in the Northwest mm-hmm. as this food sovereignty movement keeps growing nationally. When policy resolutions or recommendations are made at the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians, ATNI, it's taken up to the North, the National Congress of American Indians, mm-hmm. right? So that's the Congress of American Indians where they go to the Hill and advocate and lobby and bring forth these resolutions at the federal level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We want to ensure Northwest representation is there. That's great. Which means local people in the communities need to be there. And, and that would apply anywhere in the country. That yes. If you're interested in, the, in these issues, let your voice be heard. And it may start by talking to people on the tribal council yes. or going to people in the, in the government sector, right? Yes. Yes. So if, if you're not able as an individual to go to things like ATNI, a lot of tribal leaders go to that, um, you know, through, through their um, employment or being on tribal council, they need to talk to their leaders. They need to ensure that they, they know their priorities. And we have a survey out, you know, kind of trying to gauge what are the policy priorities here in the Northwest so that we can also be that voice. If those people cannot make it to those meetings. One of the things that we've been talking about is culturally appropriate messaging And I couldn't help reflect earlier in the show when we were speaking about some of the goals of this broader CDC project impacting things like obesity, diabetes, stroke. One of the projects that we've worked with tribes on is trying to give them additional resources dealing with chronic diseases. So some of you who are listening and you ladies around the table may be aware that my group, Compass Health Consulting, we do develop educational resources. And one of the things that We've had a lot of success with in the last 
four or five years is working with high blood pressure. So one of the world's best-selling English language books on high blood pressure is something that, uh, that we put out called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. In working with tribes, we realized that a lot of people that need that messaging are not going to read a pretty comprehensive book. And so we came out with some five-minute videos on YouTube, free videos, dealing with, uh, we actually called it 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. So people can go to our Compass Health Dot net website. They can see the links to those videos and, and use them. And I know some people in tribal health programs have been using those videos to complement some of the messaging that they're giving. The reason I use that as an example, it's one that I'm familiar with, and I know that people that have worked with us and, and worked with me are aware of some of those resources. But how do we do that when you've got something, whether it's coming from a federal government agency, whether it's coming from you know CDC, whether it's coming from a, a private group like mine, when tribes are so diverse, when individuals are so diverse, how do you take something that may be out in the kind of general environment of resources and knowledge and make that practical at a local level? What kind of process do you go through, Nora, as someone who leads uh, out in that kind of work? So when our tribes decide to use a larger evidence-based curriculum, for example, um, they add cultural components to it. So not mm -hmm. necessarily that they're um, wiping out, you know, complete lessons or anything, because there is evidence based to it. So they, they value that. Mm -hmm. But how can you um, adapt it to be more culturally relevant? Mm -hmm. So adding in cultural pieces that make sense to their community is mm -hmm. how they work with that. Mm -hmm. um, up here, we've done... Um, some messaging, some cultural adaptation for um, not just our project, but other projects here at the health board that are around social media marketing or different things, um, helping tribes with that if they want. So. Tremendous, tremendous. Janine, before we have to say goodbye, you gave out that uh, website earlier. Uh, before we give it out one last time, why does someone after listening to this show want to go to your organization's website? Well, I think anybody who's been inspired by hearing about the work that's happening here in the Northwest and would like to think about how they can use their own skills and expertise, whether they're uh, fishermen, hunters, farmers, whether they just have some knowledge about um, traditional foods in their culture, or whether they're just looking to try and see how they can help improve the health of their community. Um, come, if you come to that to our website... You'll find some resources about how you can approach that in a systematic way, or a programmatic way, in a policy way. We've got all those different um, links there that you can find a place to get started. Excellent. So one more time, the website is? www.npaihb.org. Great. Ladies, thank you so much, Nora and uh, Janine. Northwest. Portland Area Indian Health Board. Remember that. You'll remember the website as well. We do have to leave. Thank you all for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.